Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time of worship together, and we pray that you would open your word to us now, that you would speak to us, that you would help us to know you and worship you and know what it is to follow Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Anytime people join a religious group, a political party, or really any organization at all, they form certain patterns of behavior, modes of being, including developing or inheriting a language that is often quite unique to that group. And Christians are no exception to this. We have many words within the church, some more confusing and harder to pronounce than others, that are near completely foreign to those outside the church. This language becomes second nature for us, and we often forget that at some point in our life with Jesus, someone had to define these words for us. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the mission, vision, and values of St. Aidan's, trying to get clarity on where the Lord is taking us. And this week, we look at our fifth value, being a discipling people. And disciple is one of those words. It's one of those words we use in the church, but maybe don't spend as much time defining or looking deeper at as we should. That's something I believe that we would like to see changed at St. Aidan's. We want to be a people who are serious about being, and as we'll talk about in a couple weeks, making disciples. So we better know what that word means in terms of a definition, but also on an on-the-ground practical reality. Now, at the most basic level, a disciple is a follower of Jesus, someone who believes in and wishes to live a life according to the life in teaching of Jesus Christ. But what does that actually look like on the ground? What does that look like in everyday life? Well, today, we are going to look at our reading from Ephesians 4. And from that passage, we will see that being a discipling people means being called and equipped for a life bigger than yourself. Called and equipped for a life bigger than yourself. Let's start with this first piece, being called. Verse 1, Paul urges the Ephesians to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Right? The repetition is intentional here. It's meant to show emphasis. Paul highlights that being a disciple of Jesus is something that we are called to. That's very important for us to come to grips with. You see, when we understand that being a disciple is something that we are called to by Jesus rather than something that we have ourselves chosen, it changes our perspective. That's not a commentary on free will and predestination. We'll have that conversation some other time. But what we need to understand is that following Jesus begins with him calling us to himself. It's a calling to which we have been called. Now this matters because if that's the case, then our calling is all about 
Jesus, what he has done for us and in us, and who he has called us to be a part of. You see, if we get this wrong, if we make our starting place what I've done, or what I've chosen, we get off on the right, the wrong track right from the beginning. Because if my understanding of being a disciple begins and is centered on me, chances are my whole life with Jesus is going to be centered on me and not him. And we can't genuinely call ourselves disciples of Jesus unless our life is centered on him. That he is the center of our lives and our walk with God. Being a disciple of Jesus begins with being called by Jesus. And since that is the case, Jesus gets to define what that looks like. He gets to set the rules of the road, if you will. Put another way, he gets to shape the values of his disciples. That's what verses 2 and 3 are all about. We have six values of the kingdom listed here. Humility, gentleness, patience, love, unity, and peace. They are values that Christ instills in us and he freely offers to us to help us in our life with him and with others. That's something we want to hold on to. Because being a disciple starts with being called by Jesus, but we are called to something bigger than ourselves. Jesus calls us out of our lonely individualism into life as a body of believers. It's part of why Jesus grows these kingdom values in us, because if we Christians are going to live as one body, we're going to need those values. I love how a scholar named Benjamin Merkel describes this. He writes, Humility is needed because pride insists on getting its own way. Gentleness is needed because anger offends and harms others. Patience is needed because we can't control the actions of others, including God. Tolerance is needed because everyone has weaknesses. Love is needed because it's the oil that lubricates all other virtues. And peace is needed because unity cannot truly exist without God's people being united by the peace that surpasses all understanding. You know why I love that quote? Because every one of these values or virtues, to use Merkel's word, are described in how they affect other people. Paul tells us that we are called as Christians to unity. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, One baptism, one God and Father of all. What word is repeated over and over again? One, right? Since that's the case, since we are called to be one body, one people, we're going to need those kingdom values. And we need Jesus to give them to us. Because without them, then pride or anger take hold and we have division instead of unity. We have the opposite of what Christ calls us to. But when the church is living together as one body in the unity of the Spirit, bound by the love of Christ and the values of his kingdom, it is a sight to behold. It is a light to the world. It's something that people want to be a part of because it's so unlike what we tend to experience in our day-to-day life. 
we live in a time of seeming contradiction. We have more means of communicating with one another than we have ever had. And yet, countless scholars and commentators have pointed out that people more and more feel isolated, disconnected, and lonely. And the result is higher rates of depression, addiction, and suicide. It's into that world that Jesus calls us away from lonely individualism to be a part of something. We're lonely because we don't feel like we're a part of anything greater than ourselves. But if the church is living as she should, we leave behind lonely individualism as we are connected by Christ to one another. We're united. We become one body. What an invitation that is to a world filled with lonely people. To the newly retired person who isn't sure what to do with their life now that they're not working and they feel isolated. Or the person whose life is crumbling around them. They have no direction. They're not sure where to go. And they feel like there's no one else who's ever experienced what they're going through and that there's no one there to help them. To those people, Jesus calls. Are you tired of the loneliness and the related hopelessness? Come and be a part of something bigger. Come and be be a part of something. Come and meet Jesus. Now the flip side of that is that living as one isn't always going to be easy. The value that jumps out at me every time I read verse 2 is bearing with one another in love. That's really hard. (laughs) And Paul knows that's hard. The verb bearing used here is the same Greek verb he uses to describe how Christians are to live through suffering and persecution. Now, I don't know if he is making the case that dealing with other people is equivalent to being persecuted, but there are times where I think, yeah, that sounds about right, actually. Bearing with one another in love is hard. Because if we're called to be one people, it means that church isn't about me, and I'm not going to get my way all the time. Love in the Christian use of the word isn't about what makes me feel good. Christian love is love for the other. It's self-sacrificing, not self-serving. And so being a disciple means being willing to lay down our pride and lay down our preferences, even those things that we have loved, for the sake of the greater body. After all, Christians are disciples of the one Lord, Jesus Christ, who emptied himself, who laid down everything for his people, who came and became man to serve other people. And he calls us to live as he did. And that gets very real very quickly when we start applying it to our lives together, because it means Laying down, 
leaving pride behind, willing to sacrifice of ourselves. And that's really, really hard. Perhaps especially for those that have led ministries and you don't want to let go of it. You know the right way to do it. And so it's so much easier for me to just do it the right way than to serve another person. Right? That's, that's me. That's, that's my story. Coming out of seminary, I was convinced I knew how to do this Anglican thing. I knew how Anglican churches were supposed to be, what they should look like, the things they should do, music, liturgy. I knew it all. I was so obnoxiously rigid, I don't even think my wife wanted to talk to me about church. In fact, at times, I know she didn't. And if I had been a rector at that point in my life, with that my way or the highway attitude, it would have destroyed whatever church I was a part of. It wouldn't have lasted five minutes because I would be unwilling to serve the people I had been called to serve because I knew better. Thanks be to God, he has given me a teachable heart. And then he placed me in a setting that was vastly different than the Anglicanism that I thought was best. And boy, did I learn. But it was great. I grew a ton. I learned what it is to lay down my preferences for the sake of other people and to see how actually, guess what, I benefit from that too. I grew like crazy in that setting. And it wasn't always easy. It definitely was not always easy. But it was good. How might we live that out at St. Aidan's? How can we live in love with one another? Are the things that we are clinging to that don't actually serve our church, be it folks who have been here forever or folks that have been here for five minutes, Are there things that we're not doing? And because of that, we're not genuinely loving one another. Are we even willing to ask the question? If I'm called to be a disciple of Jesus, how can I love the people he has united me to? And am I willing to do that if it means sacrificing my preference? The wonderful thing is, even as Christ calls us to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, he doesn't eliminate who we are. Rather, he equips us to live as a body of believers. He calls us, he unites us, and then he equips us. Verse 7 tells us that grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 8 quoting Psalm 68, highlights much the same thing. The point is that Christ has gifted all of his disciples. Every member of the body of Christ is equipped with unique gifts. Let me give you just one example from our church. Last summer, we found ourselves very quickly <laughs> with three different roles that needed to be filled. And three different women 
with three very different giftings, stepped up and have blessed our congregation as a whole because of their willingness to use their gifts to serve our church. Now, that doesn't mean that Delia, Olga, and Christine are going to serve in those ministries for the next 20 years. They're probably really happy to hear that I don't expect that of them. But the point is that in that time and in that place, they were willing to use their individual gifts to serve our church in love. And our church has been greatly blessed by them for it. Right? And that's just three examples I could give. I mean, the list could go on and on, right? Be from our prayer team to fellowship, Sunday school, whatever it might be. People giving of themselves to bless our church. That is what a disciple does. We use our God-given gifts to serve others because we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. Paul highlights this call to serve others by putting the spotlight probably where it needs to be put on, frankly, and that's on the leaders. So we might be the ones that have the hardest time learning this. And I love that he does this because he provides a corrective and he highlights how people are gifted differently in the church. He writes, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. By putting the spotlight on leadership roles, he corrects two very common errors. One is the error of believing that the leader is called to do all of the ministry. The other is the leader dominating rather than leading, hoarding everything and making it about them. See, my role as a pastor of this church is not to do everything for this church. That would be the polar opposite of what I am called to here. Paul makes that very clear. A key part of my role at St. Aidan's is to equip you all for the ministry that Christ has called you to do. To help you see what gifts Jesus has given you so that we all can serve our church together. Because if we're not putting our faith into action, whether because our, our leaders are dominating and controlling rather than leading, or because we've just checked out and aren't that interested, either way, our faith stagnates and eventually declines. But when we put our faith into action, we get to see God at work in and through us. Using our God-given gifts in loving service of others, it helps to mature our faith. It grows. Paul tells us in verses 14 and 50, the, the reason we are equipped is that our faith does mature and grow. He writes this, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And that's when things get exciting. As we are equipped and we serve, we become more alive in our faith. It becomes a more sure, a more mature and grounded faith. It doesn't get shaken by what we experience in the outside world or the latest teaching that we've heard. 
Because as Christ works through us, we see concrete evidence that God is for us, that he loves us and he calls us to participate in the work that he's doing in the world. Nothing's more exciting than that. Nothing is more exciting, at least to me, than seeing people come alive in their faith, to see them growing like crazy. You want to see me jumping around, acting kind of weird? Get me going on a rant about someone who's growing. There's nothing better than seeing that. And Paul promises that it happens when having submitted our lives to Christ, we lovingly serve one another. You want to grow in your faith? We need to be serving each other. Verse 16 tells us when the church is working properly, when each one of us is working in our gifts, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Everyone wins. Everyone wins when we serve others in the name of Jesus. It seems counterintuitive to so much of what Western people think, but it is in the loving service of others that we ourselves benefit, not by focusing on me, but on you. By doing that, Christ grows us to live humbly, gently, patiently, united in peace and bearing with one another in love. He grows us as disciples. That's part of what being a disciple is, growing. We don't finish where we start, and it happens throughout life. It never stops. There's no graduates from the school of Jesus. We all grow our entire lives. He keeps growing us and equipping us and it's a beautiful thing to see you ever been around someone who's growing in their faith who's really flourishing and thriving in it it's awesome it's infectious you want what they have and you can have it and if you've never seen it the next time i see it i'm grabbing you it's an amazing thing to behold that's what christ wants for us So I bet you can ask what I'm going to ask us now. How can we serve each other? How can I serve you? How can you serve each other? Not just us in this room. Those outside our building too. How can we use our gifts for the betterment of those around us? Being a discipling people, a maturing body of Christ means using our gifts to serve other people. And maybe you're not gifted to teach Sunday school, but you love babies. I mean, who doesn't love babies, right? I know there's plenty, but. Maybe you can serve by blessing parents by working in our nursery. Maybe you're not really a strategic thinker sort of person, you don't really like the planning and that sort of thing, then okay, well then parish council probably isn't for you. But you have a heart for the poor and the needy and you can help us get clarity and some vision for how we can be more involved in local mission. I'd love to do that. Maybe you couldn't administer your way out of a paper bag. But you love people. And you want to see people know Jesus. Well, Maybe you can help us get clarity on how we can be reaching out more 
to those who have never heard the gospel or to those who have left it behind? How do we do that well? Help us figure it out. There are countless ministries that we could be doing. And if we're ever wondering why we're not doing whatever ministry, it might be, in truth, that it doesn't fit with our mission, vision, and values of who God is calling us to be here at this place and time. Not every church is called to do everything. That'd be impossible. (laughs) But it might be that we're lacking someone with the vision to lead it. Well, since you're asking the question, it might very well be you. Jesus equips each one of us, leaders, pastors, parishioners, not for our power and glory, but to serve one another. And whether or not you're being called to be a leader of a ministry or whatever it might be, I have no doubt that each one of us has gifts and that each one of us would grow in using them. And by the way, if you pick something and it doesn't work, that's okay too. We all swing and miss. I've tried countless ministries that I was just terrible at. It happens. That's okay. It's part of how we figure out what we're called to do. Being a discipling people isn't always easy, but it is good. As we live into this value, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we will see our own and other people's faith come alive and deepen. And we will see those who are not currently believers or have stagnating faith come to life. And it will be exciting. And I can't wait to see the Lord go to work on it. And make no mistake, friends, he is at work here. He is leading us on. He's preparing our hearts and our church for what he has planned for us. That doesn't mean it'll be easy. At some point, it will require sacrifice. It always does. Bearing with one another in love, always challenging. Laying down our pride and our preferences, not something that's natural for us. It's not going to be easy. But as Jesus grows us as disciples, it is always good. And all of us who believe in Jesus are invited to be a part of it. As part of something bigger than ourselves, called and equipped by Jesus to love one another in his name. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you do call people to yourself, that you grow us and that you equip us to serve each other and to serve other people. We pray, Lord, that you would show each of us how we are to do that and show us as a body how we are to do that. Thank you that you do give us talents and abilities and passions. Help us to use those for your honor and glory that more people might know and grow in their faith and declare Jesus, that they would join us in praising and proclaiming him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.